Hello? 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 Rethink. Rethink. Reimagine. Reimagine. Okay. Okay, America. Okay, America. Let's rethink and reimagine. I'm your host today, Juliette Lamar. You will remember me from previous episodes of this show. And this time, guess what? I'm hosting the whole shebang. As you may or may not know, I'm the only co-host at OK America who isn't a doctor. I am really not sure why they allowed me to take over today, but it's too late. You guys can't take it back. No takey backsies. I figured for my first show as lead host, I would ease into things with a topic that makes for really easy discussion. You know, dinner table talk. Something that we do, hopefully frequently, Something that keeps us entertained, connected, and alive. Literally, alive as a species. Today, we're talking about sex. Everyone's favorite topic of conversation. (laughs) Okay, don't get too excited, guys. We're not going to give you the dirty on our personal lives yet. But instead, we're going to take a deep dive into the industry of sex work from the perspective of an insider. Our guest today is so fantastic, and I cannot wait for her to share all of her insight with you. She's a certified holistic sex educator. She's a parent, a sex worker, and she has worked with as a facilitator for therapy groups of sex workers, as a lobbyist for sex worker rights, and as a consultant for media on sex workers. So welcome, Elle Stanger. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I was going to say, I'm definitely going to make it personal. I can't wait. Let's get personal. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into it. All right. Well, let me introduce the other people that are on the that are on the show. My co-host, Dr. Phil Dumbo, founder of Life Strategies LLC. He always is helping highly motivated performers achieve their peak potentials and performance. And as always, Dr. B. Thomas, Air Force vet, former federal officer, college professor, and CEO of the cannabis company, Sologica. All right, guys. Let's dive in. So I guess... One of the first things that comes to mind when I talk to my friends and not really family, but friends about, you know, sex industry, there's this hypocrisy, right? People publicly are denouncing, you know, or dirtifying different services provided, but then they privately use these services. And a lot of times it's the same people who are doing these things and it's been stigmatized, but yet it's a necessary service. So how has your work changed since COVID-19? And do you think that because people are realizing it's kind of a necessary service, uh, that that stigma is going away? Um, So I think there's a lot, you know, like as a white, typically middle-class person uh, throughout my life, or at least throughout my childhood and adolescence, I am able to reflect on a lot of our shame about different types of labor comes from classism. Um, and then intersects in a lot of different ways with that. So how do we treat people who maybe like give us pedicures or flip our burgers, you know, clean our toilets? Uh, one of my my best moments as a young college student was a sociology teacher who said, would you marry a garbage person, like someone who picks up trash? And that was something that a lot of people had to really consider why they would be ashamed to say that when really like refuse and trash recycling, like we are screwed without it, you know? Um, and those, that's, hmm. uh, so as a former MIPA <laughs> in criminology, I used to want to go into law enforcement. When I started doing sex work, I realized how a lot of policies really harm people. So, um, you know, fun fact, like, People who work in trash collection are more likely to die by injury on the job than police officers. We don't Whoa. talk about that. Yeah, did you know that? That's very true. Yeah, I um, hadn't heard that one. Yeah. Do you have any comments to any of that? I mean, it's a pretty. Lot. It's a pretty interesting statistic. 
Yeah. Well, the, the, the question about that statistic, right, is we, we just did an episode on uh, we called Heroes and, and where all of a sudden your Uber driver is a hero and the people working, which they've always been heroes. And, you know, and there's a, a, there has been a stigma about sex in general right? Let alone giving rights to people who provide services that one might consider essential, right? These are, there are a lot of lonely people. There are a lot of people needing physical touch. There are a lot of people doing that. But when you look at it from a policy standpoint, one has to first validate that this is an industry that should be an industry. Right. And you sum it up really well. And there's also a lot of times um, we don't mention folks who rely on transactional services because they actually prefer them or that's all they can access. People with disability, you know, folks that tell me like, my MS is no problem except for my dating. Can we book a session? Because they know that they've already put it out there. Like, um, so people with anxiety who just prefer not to date anyway, I get a lot of women, I get a lot of gender queer clients who maybe can't date out in the world because it's not safe to be who they are. So they can have a transactional, pleasurable experience with me in a container that is safe. And, you know, I'll talk about getting tested. And this is the stuff that more people would be able to do and do safely if we would just decriminalize prostitution is the legal term. Yes, I agree. I totally agree with that. It doesn't make any sense. It never has. But I like to point out that police officers do get hazard pay because their job is hazardous. (laughs) So that's the reason why they get the hazard pay. But having I wonder said, if trash workers get that. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that we might want to look that up. Maybe they should. Yeah. But yeah, I totally agree with what you guys are saying. There's a long history to this, you know, this being a sex worker. It goes back, I mean, to ancient times. This is something that we were doing a long time ago. We were using sex as a form of therapy. There are a lot of healing rituals. There are a lot of mystery schools that that were back in the day. And now we see a resurgence of this. And I'm glad that you're here because yeah, why are we criminalizing? Why do we still criminalize prostitution? And mm-hmm. I mean, in the United States, at least the majority of the United States criminalizes this. Well, I'm so, wondering why prostitution is considered prostitution, right? right. It, it, it's like, you know, there are many, many years that I, frankly, that sitting in a therapist session, I felt like a prostitute because I was taking money knowing damn well that the people were not there to try to get help, right? So you struggle with, do you take money from people, right, who are not there for the right reasons, right? And so I I would assume that as somebody who is alone in the room with somebody who is looking for that kind of service, that there is that personal struggle and professional struggle for you as well. Um, so I want to use this as a teachable moment to point out something that I had to do with my therapist, actually. Um, I feel like when we use the term prostitute as a, as a slur or a, a negative anyway, we're really doing a disservice to all the feelings. So you could say you felt like a pimp because you're taking advantage, maybe, or felt like you couldn't give them maybe what they really wanted. Let's okay. Pimp is a bad word. Um, no, pimp's so, a good word. I like that one. Yeah, let's use that one as a negative, as a derogatory. Yeah. Uh, and not be supporting pimps. It's not cool to be a pimp. Um, 
So look at the history of our country. We're based in Puritanism and land ownership for white men. And a lot of this stuff is coming up right now. And these are where the intersections come up with sex work and sexuality in general, because how does this country control a lot of sexual activity between people when it wasn't for marriage or procreation? I mean, sodomy was federally still legal in a lot of places until Lawrence v. Texas in 2009. And that was from what else? Homophobia? You know, there's no other reason. So... I mean, anti-miscegenation laws existed, I think, until 1967, Loving v. Virginia. The right. government always tells people who they can or cannot touch consensually. It's really disturbing and disturbing. It is disturbing. Even the military has certain rules about sex in their in their in their guidelines. It doesn't even make any sense. It's really? like why do yes, why do we care so much? I don't I have no idea. And I think a lot of it goes back to religion. Juliet, what do you think? I just want free love and, and hippie stuff all the time. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a need for control. It's the same, a different topic, but same idea of just controlling women's bodies. And I think when people think of sex, a lot of the time it's, it's, it's about women, not, not for everyone, but I think the majority of like regular people walk around, they're like, oh, sex. And they think of like hot woman's body and how it's sexualized. So I think it also goes back to that maybe patriarchal control need that's always been there that we're breaking free from now for sure. Uh, and yeah. it's not I, just, Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was gonna say, it's not necessarily just women's bodies in terms of like female feminine presenting women, but really feminine presenting people at all, because I've had folks who once they transition and they're masculine people, they realize that the world interacted to their bodies in very different ways. They were less sexual. They were less visible um, so I think just femmes in general. And so that brings up like trans women who are even more in danger. Mm -hmm. They are considered feminine. And this is where men get screwed over too, or just males in general, because you guys get shamed for wanting to express anything that's considered feminine, like intimacy or maybe crying. So it's like the reflections of a, a culture that prizes masculine values and those values have gotten us to the point where we're shooting each other and fighting and you know proving our our strength by those kinds of things instead of saying like i need help or i'm vulnerable so this is like an example of how toxic toxic masculinity is killing like all of us no matter who we are it's interesting so our trans friend our trans friend phil and i know um Haley, she has been attacked three times i believe now because a man will hit on her, realize she's trans because she's a beautiful woman, and then get mad and then follow her and beat her up. And it's just, they're so insecure. Um, go ahead, Dr. Phil. <laughs> well, uh, you, one, one of the things that really interests me in all of this for you as a provider of service is the distinction, you know, a lot of men growing up in my generation is that as soon as you have sex, you fall in love, right? I mean, there's just some sort of like connection between infatuation, sexuality, and obsession of the person you just had sex with. And, you know, some of us don't grow out of that. And hopefully many men can grow out of that. And here you are in a vulnerable situation where somebody comes to you um, and, and one, what's the distinction for you between where sexuality for you is connected to love and sexuality for you is within the role of a provider that is either a coach or uh, servicing somebody else. And what do you do when they fall in love with you? 
Um, so we recognize that a lot of people seek out comfort and companionship and attachment with their providers, whether it's their hairstylist or their manicurist or sometimes their therapist. And you have to remind them it is transactional. That doesn't mean I don't have care for them and want them to like better themselves and do well. But, um, you know, I have like my child, I met her father at the club. Like he was a client. Sometimes you meet people and it's mutually compatible and you know that. And that's when I make a move, you know. But in general, like, I joke the strip club is not the girlfriend's store. Don't expect to pick something <laughs> up that way, you know. Um, and, and I want to like all, I don't know who here, if anyone has any personal experience or peripheral with non-monogamy or polyamory, but I'm not a non, I'm not a monogamous person anymore. I was just raised to be one. So I think there is some amount of ownership that women and men will inflict upon their partner once they have sex, because we are raised to believe that you are giving something away when you have sex. Really, you can just gain pleasure from each other, hopefully, or, right. or new, like skills or something. I don't know. Memories. Um, yeah. So I think like, again, we have to take a step back about how do we view intimacy in our culture? How do we do it disservices? Because I, I went to look up, actually, I went to research for this episode, destigmatize intimacy, because mm -hmm. that was what we we're going to talk about. And there's nothing there. There's mm -hmm. nothing there. The only stuff that comes up is hookup culture is bad. Um, and I see that people equate hookup culture being bad to a lack of communication, which causes harm and hurt feelings. But hookup culture wouldn't be bad because I engage in it all the time. I have hookup partners, but we communicate and we set boundaries and we understand like what we're here for, which is like pleasure or conversation. Um, you know, so yeah, monogamy issues again. <laughs> well, I, I do think a lot of this connects to the, the illusion that we are a religious country, like that we are a society based in some sort of set of rules around Christianity where procreation, as you were saying earlier, or that kind of pleasuring exists only within the construct of uh, a marriage. But one of the things you're saying, which is actually very important for people to hear, is that you don't live in a boundaryless experience. Right. And people think that you are out of control if you're having sex with multiple people or that somehow your morals or your values or your boundaries have been um, destroyed or, or abandoned in that. That's the judgment, right? The judgment around that somehow you're less because you're looking for more. Yeah. And I think that comes from a place of maybe shame in not knowing how to navigate your own relationships. You know, people are thinking like, man, I can't even handle monogamy. So she must be off the rail. <laughs> you, know? you know, like I, I want to encourage people to be, give like critical objective consideration on what your relationships look like. Like who are the people that make you feel good? Is it the lady you like get your coffee from? I would say there's some kind of um, connection there it's transactional, but maybe you both benefit from that. Um, I have a friend who we just trade food pictures to each other every day. We've done it for like seven years. I met him in the club too. Um, we never dated, but it's a nice way to just be like, hey, I'm still alive. I'm depressed, but I ate eggs today. Or, hey, here's a new restaurant across town. You know, and some people think I have really weird relationships, but I just, 
if one person isn't going to do anything for you, like everything for you, one person's not going to do everything for you, but you can get your needs met and have different kinds of attachments with all different kinds of people. So I definitely think the way that we review relationships in the Western world is, is um, sometimes a bit limited. You know, we see one person, like a, monog- a monogamous relationship, people are usually accustomed to that. But when you're talk, what you're talking about basically shifts the entire paradigm. And I, <laughs> it takes a lot of courage to, to be your authentic self. So where do you find the courage? Where do you find the passion to, to be your authentic self in this world that we're living in that is so judgmental? That's a really kind, supportive question. Um, I have had really good teachers. Um, If I can give some resources to anyone who's interested in non-monogamy stuff, Janet Hardy is a great author. Um, Opening Up by Tristan Taramino. The Janet Hardy book is called The Ethical Slut. But it's really hard and it's really scary to maybe reconsider. And this is my like advice to being your authentic self. It's hard to, to reimagine what kind of life you want to have with your relationships and to try to find those people who meet those needs and fit into place with each other. But you're never going to please everyone. Some people won't, just won't get along. Um, it's okay to skin your knees while you're learning. Um, but I don't want to live my whole life being, I've been married twice. You know why? Because I was told that you fall in love, you get married and then it's fine. That's it. That's it. Like your life is good. You just do all the other shit now. And that didn't make me happy. You know, I loved those men. I'm still on good terms. One of them does my hair. The other one I had a kid with. Um, but we treat each other well and we co-parent well. And, you know, I have my porn partners and my clients and my living partner and, Some of them are friends. Some of them hang out. um, And that's amazing because some people will never know what that's like. And and that's fine. Some people don't want a life like mine, but I don't want to live my life doing it the way I was told I should that didn't feel good and then die. And that's all I have. So, you know, we're here to talk about this for us. What I love about what I'm hearing that that I, I think should not escape the moment is you're doing something that is opposite of what people think you're doing. You're normalizing, right, by – so sex and food picks and um, relationships around getting coffee together and people you hang out with and people you have uh, sex on camera with are all normalized in your in, in what you're saying to me, right? Where the people who listen and the people who are out there and Americans in general, frankly, my experience through the years is that is that they're so afraid of what you're saying because of those constructs, right? Is that, you know, we don't have to go outside and march and take a knee for eight minutes and 46 seconds, although I recommend everybody doing that who hasn't done that because it's an amazing experience, right? But regardless of your age, but, but you don't have to step out and take a stand in order for you to understand what it feels like to get something from somebody else, to get pleasure, give pleasure, get information, give information. But I don't think we have a collective consciousness around that. I, I don't. I think it's people like you who are out there because everybody listening in, if we just put it's a it's a show on sex and she's a sex worker, 
they have no idea that you are absolutely articulate, brilliant, and have opinions. They're wondering what you look like without your clothes on, right? And so how do you distinguish that? How do you create that that credibility? You have 190,000 followers or something on uh, Instagram. It's like, holy you shit, know, my God. I have- it's it's 122. Um, I don't really <laughs> but who's know counting? how much the engagement of works. Um, I have only like two hate p- pages dedicated. So yeah, I've hit the big time. Um, no, I I did not plan to be any type of spokesperson for any type of spoke of sex work. I did not plan to be a spokesperson for sex work. I'm going to repeat myself. Um, I am not the one and only. There needs to be more diverse voices. There needs to be more black and personal color and trans and masculine and everybody's disabled, everyone's sex worker voices. But it's really hard for people to do that safely the more marginalized they are. I am using my privilege. This is how I've chosen to use my privilege. I didn't have to use like my real last name, but I did. I didn't have to talk about Um, my relationships, but I did, or my exposure to STI scares, but I did because I'm modeling good behavior because I don't want more people to suffer through the mistakes that I did. And if I can remove that for other folks, then I'm reducing harm. So this is me using my privilege because you know what? My Instagram and my social media would have been a lot different and probably less stressful to manage if it was just cute selfies all day, but I didn't want to do that. You know, I wanted to accumulate and acquire a good audience of people who want to learn and grow with me. And I feel like I've done that. So it is a little self, you know, self-gratifying. Oh, <laughs> well, it's sure. brave. It's so brave. I mean, that I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. And, and as a human, I don't think I could take the hate and everything and push through with that bigger mindset the way that you have. It's, it's incredible. Well, thank you. Look, we've all been problematic. In 15 years of being a published writer online, I've said silly things that I'm like, oh, wow, I thought differently in 2013. Or I've used language that was insensitive. You know, look back at the TV shows we grew up with. We're like, whoa, that wouldn't fly these days. So I think in a time, like a really pivotal moment, and here's just my brief spiel, I think we can all look at how we have maybe unknowingly done harm or done harm from a place of like shame and how we can move forward because people can't heal if we still feel shame about stuff we've done in the past. And that's everybody. That's That's awesome. Can I ask you a quick question? I know you're going to leave us pretty soon, but you're also a mom, right? I I wrote a parenting book um, trying to capture, um, we'll send you one, trying to capture the notion around how do you raise good character when you raise people, right? And so- what, what does your son know and how have you explained it? And what's, you know, you have multiple partners, you uh, are all over the internet. Um, he could look you up, his friends could masturbate, to, uh, you know, watching your pictures, all of that kind of stuff, right? I think it's a daughter. It's a daughter, but it's okay. I mean, she could change her She mind could later. masturbate too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, right. yeah. Her friends could masturbate too, mom as well. Um, I can't really stop that. I would request that people in my personal life with boundary issues maybe uh, choose what content they're going to pursue. There she is now. Hi, honey. Can I talk for five more minutes? You can watch one more of the Dragon episodes. You can watch one more. You're welcome. Yeah. I'm watch the Dragon episode. Jesus. <laughs> Summer break because of quarantine. Um yeah. So my kid, I've written a couple times on this. Um, there was one that went pretty viral. I'm a sex worker and this is what I'll tell my child. That one's on Elephant Journal. 
Um, How to Explain Porn to Your Kids um, is on Romper. I butchered the title, but that's basically it. So it depends. Oh, Huffington Post. Yeah, Huffington Post. No, come on. You're, you, you're, the article in Huffington Post is an awesome oh, article. That one. that one. I forgot about that one. That one came out. It's kind of big. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, you three are just boosting me. You are <laughs> Make your guests feel good, or you're making this one feel good. Well, you um, know, we, we do our best. We do our best. You're doing great. Um, I feel well, great. You should see the pornography videos of me. They, they're very <laughs> They're very short. They're only 30 seconds, so we can get them on Vizio. So, no, I'm just kidding. I will kind of tip you for those. Um, okay. Pay for your content. Um, okay, so my somebody asked me, they're like, how does your kid feel about the dildos that you have around the house as in your plants, in your decorations? So go look on Instagram. They're beautiful. And, um, you know, because people think of phalluses as inherently sexual. And... I told them what I told her when she was three the first time after she'd asked me what's that on the dog. And I said, that's his penis. He pees out of it. If he tried to make puppies, he would mate with it. That conversation came later. Your dad has a penis. He's a male. Most males do, not all, but we'll explain intersex later. Um, <laughs> so with the penises, she's like, why do you have penises on the wall? And I said, oh, they're body parts. Half the world has them. We also have, you know, like pictures of there's a Virgin Mary. There's a Volvo over there. Here's like a Roman statue. Like I have images of bodies because it's art. It's beautiful. It's normal. She said, okay. Um, most of the ones on decoration I don't use. They're dusty. And <laughs> so, um, so the framing, it just depends how I frame things because someone else asked me, how does your kid feel about um, you being poly and I had to really think about it. And I, then I realized she doesn't know what monogamy is. It is very normal for both of her parents to have multiple other adults that will interact in a friendly way. Maybe she'll see us hug or give a peck on the cheek because again, I'm not having sex in front of my kids. So she doesn't really know what my activities are, you know? Um, you know, the irony of that is she's going to grow up to be a strict monogamous because <laughs> her parents were polyamorous. And uh, right, as my as I grew up with, with a very strict household, I grew up to be very liberal because they were very strict. And somehow there's a response mechanism like that in, in many, many people. What about yeah. you, Ellie? How did you grow up? Did you grow up with in the same way that you are now or was it oh, completely opposite? My parents are registered Republicans in a red county. Um, I left when I was 17. We have some ideological differences. I came out to them at the age of like 31, so two years ago. Um, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Like I said, I've done my self-work. I'm still doing it till I die. Um, <laughs> my parents instilled some shame um, and some other things in me. But um, this question was asked many, many times of Janet Hardy, the author I mentioned before. They've written a lot of books on kink, safety, and then non-monogamy. And they said, you know, there's that saying that it takes a village to raise a child. My children, who her children are now adults, she said they grew up with plenty of caretakers that they could trust, you know, could teach them things, interact with. Um, and that's really kind of what in a... If you're one of my radical friends, um, you'll say like in a socialist society, we should all be taking care of each other and to go to a different spot entirely in previous cultures where everyone was having sex with everyone. That meant that there was no ownership over the children because paternity could be anyone. So that right. meant that 
automatically took care of more children because they were invested. So a lot of it, yeah, sex comes to ownership. Um, my kid will know that I'm naked on the internet. My kid knows that I dance naked for money in a place called a strip club. I pointed to it when we drove by. Um, she thought that was really kind of silly because she never sees naked people. And I said, well, in our culture, most of us are clothed unless it's like a special occasion or going to the doctor for, you know, something. We take our clothes off for five minutes. Um, so there's reasons we get naked. This one is that people want to see all the amazing things that I can do with my body when I'm dancing, makes them happy. They give me money because they're grateful. And she thinks that's awesome. So when she gets older, I will explain you know, I also give touch for money in safe ways. And, and like, she will be fine. It will be people that she interacts with and the media right. world that she lives in that will tell her that your mom's a piece of crap who did a terrible job, probably a victim just doesn't know it, crawling with diseases, you know? Like, even if I was crawling with diseases, that's not a reason to treat someone badly. But I do get screened regularly and everyone wish they would have access. Well, hopefully in a world that we're creating now, more children, because, you know, it's been shown that when kids are, when kids are exposed to um, talking about body parts and naming things vagina and penis at an early age, they are so much less likely to be molested, to, mm -hmm. to get to all these things mm -hmm. that hopefully this generation of people is raising their children with this mindset. So hopefully she grows up with children who are of a like mind. And that's really what I wish for her that will understand and their parents have friends. I have tons of polyamorous friends and I have trans friends and my kids would be exposed to that as well. So hopefully the future for your daughter and the kids coming out right now will be that. Yeah. They're, they're going to have so many more tools than we did. Mm -hmm. They're going to have more work to do with the environment, but babies. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, hopefully their minds will be a lot more open than ours have been over the, you know, in our time, you know, we've had to grow to this level. I know I have just like you, I've been married twice, mm. you know, and I've had that paradigm where, Oh, you know, I was a virgin when I got married, by the way. So, wow. you know, having that old school paradigm, it has to be this way. And then my first husband cheated on me, honey. So, right. <laughs> you know, there's nothing you could have done about it. Exactly. Right. So yeah, I'm, I'm here with you. You know, we have to, we have to grow beyond the paradigms that we are taught. And we have to figure out what works for us and what doesn't work for us. And we are so allowed to evolve. We're allowed mm -hmm. to evolve. Well, the important part of all of that is, is teaching people how to evolve. Because I think we, you know, my generation really messed things up, right? We were on the heels of the 60s. And so we were on the heels of a sort of a cultural breakdown. And what happened is we lost boundaries thinking that that was the alternative, right? And it isn't the alternative. The alternative wasn't deconstruction. It was constructing something that allowed you to express yourself. And what we're seeing is that when you can't do that, people find ways to do that. And now with the internet, we're all, out, we're all in different locations. The fact that we're trapped inside makes people go out right? The fact that we are killing people in arrests, people are demonstrating, and we're sitting here talking about the ability to express and teach our children. That hasn't changed, right? The responsibility of that was, you know, you're my daughter's age. So for me, it, it's making sure that how would I feel 
if you were my daughter, right? And and what's the actual truth of that? Not what I want to say to you because you're an attractive young woman on our show, or I have coworkers who are uh, co-hosts who are young, right? It, it really is what is the actual truth of that? Because in my world, you're raised you got to get college. You got to make a lot of money. You got to do all these things. You got to get married. You got to have children. But the real important piece, I think the thread between all of us that I think really you speak to, which is so important because we're really not talking about sex right now, right? We're talking about expressing yourself in a way and being honest with the people around you. And if you do things with the pure intention, right, it doesn't really quite matter because people who aren't comfortable with what you do don't have to turn on the screen. Yep. Yep. But the people, you know, a hundred thousand of those 122,000, I would ask them if they're doing this to look at you naked or they're doing this because they're championing the cause with you. I guess you kind of have to see my feedback because there's a lot of Introduction. Yeah, I, I receive a lot of. I, I mean, I'll answer that question if I can interrupt you. Sure. Uh, no. No. Go for it. Yeah, I don't want that to go unanswered. Um, I receive so many letters and emails and comments from people of all ages and genders and backgrounds and everything that says thank you for letting me not feel bad about the way my genitals look, or I was molested, or I didn't know how to say no, or something about herpes I didn't know. You know, um, like that's why I said I could have take, taken pictures of my butt, and this would have been easier. But I wade through people's trauma on the regular and it, and it shows like, it's good. My audience, I'm really grateful. And this is how I know also there's a need for sex ed. Cause it's not about me. A lot of the time it's not. Right. Right. My whole point is it doesn't matter if the hundred thousand are watching you for whatever reasons they're watching you, as long as they're honest about why they're watching you. Yeah. Those people usually get weeded out cause they'll respond to something and I'm like, why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> Please leave. <laughs> well, Elle, we'll let you get back to to life. But man, this, you know, you said you said you were feeling good from this. I am feeling all the way filled up with my with my myself right now. It is it's beautiful to talk with people like you and Thank it's you. reciprocal for all of us. Thank Any you. final thoughts for Elle? One, Thank would you. you come, <laughs> Thank you. But would you would you come back and talk about body art with us? Sure. Ooh, yeah. I have a lot to say about tattoo culture. Um, send me your book. I will. If you send me nudes, I'll tip for them and never release them because I am an ethical porn consumer. Um, nice. Thank you, Netta. Thank you, Juliet. Thank you, Dr. Dembo, so much. I'm going to go parent now. I'll leave the room. Yeah? Yes. All right. We'll see you Good later. See you. Thank, thank you. you. Nice meeting Bye. you. You too. And with that, we're going to go to commercial break and we will be back with our co-host to dive deeper into this topic. Elle, thank you so much for joining us. If you want to find Elle, you can find her via her website, which is stripperwriter.com or on Instagram at stripperwriter or on Twitter at Elle Stanger. And one of the better ways to support porn creators directly is through webcam. So Miss L's webcam URL is camsoda.com slash stripperwriter. Thank you so much, and we'll be right back. In a world that's ever-changing and a future ever-uncertain, more than ever, we're looking for ways to better our life, better our day, and redefine what it means to feel well. We at Kavana Health 
an Oklahoma-based, GMP and kosher certified manufacturer of hemp-derived ingredients and finished products, have had a core mission. All of us and each of us must redefine what it means to live well. Whether it's our tinctures, topical, or pet products, Kavana Health remains committed to the highest standards of production and packaging with the highest quality industrial hemp and a state-of-the-art extraction lab. Come shop with us at www.kavanahealth.com or say hello on Facebook and Instagram at kavana.health. We are Kavana Health, redefining wellness. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to OK America. I hope you guys are just as zoomed in and turned on as we are right now because Elle was incredible. I feel so lifted up and empowered just by her energy. It's infectious. If you guys are enjoying listening to the show and you want to connect with us, please, please do and go to uh, wherever you're listening to your podcast, either Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We are everywhere. Leave us a comment. Give us a little like. Give us some stars or not stars. We want to hear from you. So please engage. You can also find us on Instagram at ok.america, or you can go to our website, which looks super fly, at okamerica.us. Okay, guys, let's get into rethinking and reimagining what we all just experienced. All right, Dr. B, what you had, you were telling us off the air about something pretty cool. I'm telling you, first of all, that was an amazing, I mean, I just, I'm so full just like you, you know, the information that she gave us, it's amazing. Like she's basically a rebel. She's living a life. And we're talking about beautiful Elle. We just interviewed her. She's living a life where she is basically taking control. She's not, she's not limited. She's doing her own thing, but at the same time, she creates her own boundaries working as a sex worker. I wanted to say that one thing that we, want to emphasize is that when you work as a sex worker, of course, it doesn't always mean that you're having sex with your clients. You know, of course it means therapy. It means all sorts of different things, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're having sex with your clients. I think one of the things that she talked about was, you know, the word prostitute and how we have seemed to demonize that word. Mm-hmm. And and we really have the moment you say, you tell someone, Oh, they, they hear the word sex worker, they think prostitute, and then they think pimp. They go back to this, this, you know, this, this model, this pimp model that I, it seems like that's the only thing that we know, but it's deeper than that. And we're finding that it's deeper than that. So I want to talk a little bit about my experience, my limited experience. Last year, I went to a tantric workshop and there was about 30 women. This was in LA. And Tantra is a tradition that dates back to Hinduism and Buddhism. In the West, we're seeing a lot of Tantra schools pop up. Tantra is about making a connection and it's a deep practice. It's more than sex. And there are teachers that we're seeing rise up in America that are teaching these ancient practices that we're just so like, we lost a lot of the knowledge of it here in the West, but now we're seeing that there's more practitioners that are bringing validity to this industry of being a sex worker. So I'm just amazed you know, and yeah. glad we're in this time. Well, the thing that, that you know, there, there is an emotional reaction to the word sex worker, right? And even in our reaction to Al Stanger, we are, I will speak for myself, 
I am impressed with her articulation and her intellect, but but in that I have to own that I didn't expect that. And and there's some real embarrassment about that, right? That that you no matter who you are, like you talk about a guy who's an accountant and you have a vision of what that looks like and who that is and sort of the personality of an accountant versus when our little kids are are arguing all the time, we're like, oh, they're going to grow up to be lawyers. We don't say people are going to grow up to be sex workers, right? And and when when you talk to, to Elle, she really separated it out as this is an essential service that she believes in, whether we believe in it, you believe in it, I believe in it. But I do think I have to own the fact that I was surprised by her ability to be bigger than the the statement that she's a sex worker. No, it was incredibly empowering the way that that she is really like normalizing this alternative lifestyle. And I think that it won't be an alternative lifestyle for long if people like her continuing to break those boundaries, continuing to break those boxes, because as people it's easier to put to put someone in a box. It saves time. That's why we do it. And really, Phil, like having that introspective, reflective look on yourself, it takes courage. A, but B is what we all need to be doing. What was what's the first thing that you notice about somebody? What are the assumptions you're making, and right. how are you wrong? Is the only way we're going to grow. And um, what what really resonated with me, I guess, the most was I, and and this kind of started happening with um, Phil and I's mutual friend Haley. She's, she's trans. And when she transitioned to a woman and just like all the differences she went through and really how that redefines sexuality, not sexuality in the word of like having sex, but, but who you are sex as a sex being, like being able to transition from male to female like that. I knew it happened, but until I saw someone who I loved and care about go through it, I really got a read of redefinition of sex and just her talking in, in this broad term of like sex is anything that you make it. The act is anything you make it. Your gender is anything you make it. I don't know. I thought that was just really beautiful and eye-opening again. It's like these little eye-opening things throughout your life. So let me ask you guys, what does sex actually mean to each of you? That's a good question. Thanks. Well, for me, sex <laughs> sex is actually a, a pretty loaded topic. You know, um, I feel like more than sex for me, it's about intimacy. It's about connecting with a person and really having that trust. You know, I am into having a monogamous relationship. However, I am open to people doing whatever the hell they want to do. You know, I'm, I'm definitely not limited that way. So sex for me means just to have an intimate connection. And actually, that's more important than the physical act of sex, being mm-hmm. connected with someone, having someone that you know is, is, um, trustworthy to be with in the first place. I mean, I can't, how could you have an intimate relationship with someone if you can't trust them? That's number right. one. Right. So. What about you, Julian? Let's talk about sex, baby. baby. Let's talk about you <laughs> and me. When you, whenever you say, whenever you say sex, I think of that song. Um, <laughs> Which was revolutionary during it the was. time that it came out. Yeah. It was. Oh, it's a great it. God help your husband, Dan. Every time he says the word sex, you break out into song. Oh my it's okay. God. He does the same weird shit to me where I say something. He's like singing about it. Um, oh, okay. I, I think sex is, is, is like being, is being vulnerable. Cause I am intimate 
I did a, a whole podcast episode about this on some different podcast. Sorry, I'm Polly Podcast. You're cheating wow. on us. Wow. I'm Polly oh, really? Podcast. <laughs> we just told you we're Mono Podcast, and, and here you are telling us. And it, you know what? Now we're hurt. Our right. Now you're hurt. hurt. Your ego oh is now bruised. I'm very hurt. Oh um, but. But I did a whole podcast and I was like, kiss your friends' faces. Kiss your friends' faces. You love your friends. I'm a very physical touch person. And I feel like I have an intimate relationship with all of my friends. And I don't have like, you know, sex in the word of like penetrative sex, but I am emotionally vulnerable with my good friends. I hug them. I love them. I just want to squeeze them. So sex is like the icing on the cake. It's more of like an after after the vulnerability, after the intimacy, it's like, even if, even if you don't get there, like you can, you can orgasm in your sleep. It, it's more about, it's more about that, that deeper connection you have with the person. And that's just the difference between a relationship, I guess, that I would have with Dan and a relationship I'd have with my friend would be like, well, you know, there's the bedroom, but then you still have these levels of intimacy, which is what L tapped on of like the intimacy of sharing food photos with a friend that's still intimate. Like I'm putting that in my body. I'm eating this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Orgasms in your sleep is what well, I heard. Yeah, that's what oh. I heard too. Has that never ha has that never happened to you? <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm here for it. I I would like more of those. I think we need to talk about how do we how do we achieve more of those. Maybe we to bring that out in our next episode. I think we should. I think, you know, when, when the death of the American dream, we're, now we're talking wet dreams, right? And, 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 and better, so, better dreams. Better dreams. But, but again, I, you know, it's so fascinating when we ask the question how we answer it. I just love how each of you sort of had to wrap yourself into explanation of yourself around that because it it's is an ego thing. It's an ego thing it, again. It, and a self-esteem thing. When I think mm -hmm. about sex in America, I think about, uh, and Al Stanger and the work she's doing, she taps into the self-esteem of people, helping them feel what sex provides, which is more than trust and more than safety. It's, it's, it's a level of courage and worthiness, right? When, when you can make somebody come and when somebody can make you come and all that stuff that we get scared of the language, but when you are in that experience, I call it radar love in a relationship is that if Linda is on my radar, right? It's beyond the bedroom. I think about her. I become an expert in her. You know, Elle is becoming an expert learning about her clients in a way that takes this whole topic in a whole different, it doesn't feel prostitution, what she was saying, in that classic sense, right? But many, many wives will tell you throughout the generations that they feel that they prostitute themselves because their husband comes home and they lay down and yeah. spread their legs. And exactly. And <laughs> like, yeah, God damn it. Right. Shit. What? <laughs> what? Holy shit. Something anyway. for nothing? No. <laughs> hey, sometimes, sometimes. Prostitution. And she was talking about transactional. Sometimes it's a transactional self, even even we just need to get real. A transaction, <laughs> and I think that's the honesty, right? That, you know, you can have, um, you can have unconditional feelings for somebody, but your 
actions are transactional. You don't get if you don't give, and you you give to get. Well, and it's bullshit, right? And it's bullshit if you think otherwise. Mm-hmm. Look, look at Dr. <laughs> B. She, she's jumping out of her seat. She's like, where is that mad cybert of mine? I'm telling you. You know, it's, it's real. We don't talk about these things. But, yeah, absolutely. Transactional. That's That's the reality of the situation. And I think that... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, well, go ahead. I, I, I think we in the therapy world would call it reciprocal. And in the sex worker world or the service industry world, they call it transactional. But it really is the same thing. Yeah. Right? So you give to get and you get to give. And you keep track. You know, I am almost any, because I don't really talk about sex with my guy friends, which I should do more. I should do that more. But with my girlfriends, you talk about sex all the time. It's like drink some wine, you end up talking about sex. Um, and you do keep track is as a transactional. Like if someone pays for your lunch, you remember they paid for lunch, so you're going to pay for lunch next time. In the bedroom is the same thing. You're like, well, they came last time and I didn't, or I did and they did. And like, I don't know if men do the same thing, but women, we keep track. And it's Why like this little just tally. <laughs> <laughs> Juliet, what? <laughs> what? Are you keeping track of? Oh, I don't have to, but I'm saying some people do. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that becomes. Dr. The, B's done. That, that becomes the standard of reciprocity. Is exactly. that uh, there's no, there's, in, unless you know going in that only one is coming out, um, <laughs> <laughs> then, then, you know, that in itself is reciprocal, if you know what I'm saying. Right. But, but I think what you're saying is, is really, really true. And, and to me, what I love about what we're doing today is having the courage just to be really honest about this stuff. Right. And that was what was refreshing about our guests for me. Yeah. It takes a lot of courage. A lot of women actually are not having orgasms. And this is something that we Mm -hmm. don't even talk about. You know, a lot of women or people in general suffer. They have issues that they need to heal from traumatic situations that happen to them and that it affects their intimacy. And that's why being a sex worker in this day and age is so important because you're helping people who have issues that are beyond sex. It's beyond sex. It's deeper than sex. Well, for how many generations was it really about a woman's responsibility to make her man feel like he pleasured her? And if he didn't pleasure her, he couldn't deal with it, right? He couldn't deal with the fact that, that, so it's like, was it good? And she's like, oh my God, I, 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 you know, you, you, you made fireworks happen. And the reality is, is that sometimes a man can't help a woman that way and he has to partner with her to help her. It should not be that it's only until he's finished. I agree. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's with anything. It's Mm -hmm. it's with anything. You can't, you can't do most things alone. Everything is a give and take in life. And I don't know why we think sex is different. (laughs) Yeah. But I also think that in order to be intimate with someone else, we have to learn how to be intimate with ourselves. God bless you. Mm -hmm. We have to Mm -hmm. learn how to please ourselves so that we can teach others how to please us. And I think that's something that we don't talk about either. Like masturbation is also a huge taboo and primarily because of religion. 
So how right. do we fix this? Like, we know it's a problem. It's been we a to problem touch for ourselves. <laughs> yeah, but how do you give someone? How do you give someone the the um, uh, permission, the and the and the bravery to begin something like that? I'm telling our audience, our listening audience, right now, you have the permission to touch yourself. <laughs> When I think about you, I touch myself. Oh. Okay. We've lost so, all of our listeners. <laughs> so for me, uh, I think you have to understand what pleasures yourself outside of what is taboo before you can understand why it's taboo, right? There, There is a level of, if you ask most Americans, how do you feel? They will tell you their thoughts and not their feelings right? They interpret their feelings based on what they think they're supposed to be telling you. So if you have somebody, and years ago I had somebody who got turned on by My Little Pony, and there's a whole society online of adults who follow My Little Pony, and they all have characters, and they all masturbate to these characters. I heard about this. And the reality of that is it is so taboo in terms of the shame around that, that now with the internet, you can find communities where you can safely express the things you like or you don't like. But think about how one would bring that into a relationship live and in person. Honey. Right? The only reality that feels right to me about the work that Elle does is if it can translate to relationships that are not monetarily based, right? If you hire a therapist to learn about yourself, you need to take those things out into the real world and integrate those things into your life. If you're learning things with Elle Stanger, we would hope that you would take those things and have the courage to tell people this is what turns me on. This is what I like. Assuming that they're not going to run away because if they run away, they weren't going to stay anyway. Right. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. Transparency is very important. And again, that having that trust and that openness to be your authentic self so that you're not surprising the person that you're in a relationship with. I think that's very important. I agree. Mm-hmm. Wait, Dr. Phil, did you tell us what sex means to you? You know, yeah, it it means self-esteem. It's an expression of, uh, of really, for me, that radar. I am more interested in what it takes to put a smile on Linda's face in all kinds of ways and be an expert in who she is. And so for me, that is just another vertical, if we use business terms, Right, that is just another bucket that we can live in, because that changes over time. It changes over time in terms of of who we are, our age, our at any given time in our life. You come in and out of that, I believe. Uh, At least I do in terms of its importance. But what never wavers for me is the um, the self esteem. What I feel about me that I could be that for her. This is beautiful, guys. We're going to have to do another episode on on this because there, there's so much to unpack, but I think we can probably wrap it up if we have any final thoughts about the topic. Or any, I any- do have any. I do have some final thoughts. I do. First of all, you need to find out, find out the legality of being a sex worker. If this is something that you're interested in, if this 
if this turns you on, <laughs> you need to know your rights. You need to know, need to know what you can do right. and what you can't do from a legal perspective. That's number one. I'm always going to bring the law back into this. And then number two, uh, don't be so quick to judge. You know, there's a lot of things that I, we don't know about just because you don't understand something, ask questions. Please know that a sex worker is not limited to prostitution. It may not have anything to do with prostitution. Um, what Elle is doing is very revolutionary. There's many like her who are doing the same thing. I know a person that actually travels internationally and teaches about, you know, um, the mysteries of sex. Also, get in touch with your own sexuality. Don't be afraid to explore yourself. It's not up to the person outside of you to please you. You have to become you have to learn how to please yourself first. You have to learn how to be receptive of being pleased. Some people can't be pleased because they're not receptive. And that's where you need the healing work. And that's why Elle is here to help people with the healing work. So that's what I would say. All right, Dr. Phil. Yeah, for me, um, I, I think everybody out there is don't be so quick to judge. Understand that what you see may not be all that there is. And understand that in everything in our life post-COVID is pre-COVID. We just weren't aware of it. And so be safe, right? Understand. And I think uh, Elle Stanger said it well. She gets tested regularly. Just understand that when you mingle body fluids with another human being, right, and you need to know what you're doing and that it is okay to do that for yourself, but make sure you keep yourself safe. And that, on that note, my last thing is by Dr. Seuss, which is, today you are you. That is truer than true. There is no one alive who is youer than you. So if you are looking at a situation, just be yourself and be you in it. All right, everyone, this has been OK America. I'm Juliette Lamar. We have Dr. Phil Dumbo. We have Dr. B. Thomas. Thank you all for tuning in. And again, if you want to find Elle, her website is stripperwriter.com. Her Instagram is at stripperwriter and her Twitter is at L Stanger. And her webcam URL is cam, C-A-M, soda, S-O-D-A, dot com slash stripperwriter. Okamerica.com is us and an Instagram, okay.america. We'll catch you guys next time. Bye. 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 Bye.